how many of you can remember back this far? I, I had to walk back memory lane myself this week. You guys remember as a kid dressing up like someone that you wanted to be? Maybe it's not even as a kid. Maybe you still do that. We do it every Halloween, right? But I remember growing up, I would dress in a way of, you know, one of the things I would do quite often is I would dress up like my dad. I would put his, at the time, big shoes that I outgrew by about age 12 on, and I would put his suit on. My dad was a preacher, and I would put his suit on, and I would grab the ironing board, and I would, you know, preach, because that's, at that time, what I wanted to be. And you're like, well, it turned out well for you. Well, there was a period of time where I didn't want anything to do with this, but here we are. But we played dress up. Uh, this last, uh, yesterday was my nephew's 10th birthday. And we've dressed up as all sorts of things. We've encouraged that from day one. He has been through the course of his 10 years. He, we brought Harry Potter's robes. We've been Ghostbusters. We've been Cowboys. We've been Buzz and Woody. And so I was asking him this last week. I said, hey, buddy, what do you want for, for your birthday? It's, it's a big one. I mean, it's a decade. It's two full hands. I said, so, you know, this is one of those that is, you know, you just name it. He said, well, Uncle Jason, I, I want a Spider-Man costume. I was like, well, we've already done that. Like, he goes, no, 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 no. I want the real thing. I want the spandex one. He said, I've got a link that I'll send you off Amazon. And I thought, kind of, yeah, like 10, you know, and so sure enough, you know, a few minutes, like my phone dings and there's the link. He goes, it's this one. He said, Uncle Jason, I think they make it in your size too. We could do it together. <laughs> I went, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think they make it in my size. No one wants to see that in my size. <laughs> and so I hit Amazon two-day prime. It's a God thing. It's just that's a, that's a blessing from above. So I hit prime, and it was ordered. And so yesterday we FaceTime, and uh, Jacob was running around in the background. My sister was on, and I said, well, let me talk to Jacob. And in a moment, coming from the side, it wasn't like he came from the back. He, like, popped into the FaceTime. And I said, hey, what's up, Jake? He goes, I'm not Jacob. I'm Spider-Man. And then he did that little tss, you know, like right at the phone, and then he ran off, and I just laughed. And then I got to thinking. You know, in his 10-year-old mind, you know who he was? Yesterday, when he took off his clothes that he had on from the beginning of the day, not knowing what was in the box, when he took those off and when he put on Spider-Man, he was Spider-Man. And Paul, as we kind of wind this letter down, Paul says, you know what? Who you dress like is who you're going to act like. And so we're winding this down. We're approaching the conclusion of Paul's letter, and, and he's going to get really practical today. He's going to help us what we have seen and what has been revealed already in this letter to the Ephesians, but it's a, really a letter to us as well. He has revealed some things. He says, listen, you are called into this new life. You have new identity that God has made a way because that's who God is. And so he walks us through who God is, and he tells us about the amazing, glorious riches of, of God. And then he says, and you, you were saved because of his goodness, because of his graciousness, because of his riches. 
And he says, and as a result of that, you now get to step into a life that is worthy of something greater, worthy of the calling in which you were created. And he has given us this new identity. And so he's going to kind of wrap this letter up with some really practical things. And so Paul reveals the end game. The goal in chapter 4, verse 14, look at this. He says, here's the goal, that we will grow to become in every respect, every respect, every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, Jesus. Paul says, let me just make it very clear what I'm going to spend the rest of my letter addressing and encouraging and helping you move toward. The goal is not to just accept the new identity. The goal is not to just get saved and go, whew, avoided that. I'm good. He says, no, the goal is to what? Mature into something. He says, you're going to become like the head. Simply put, he says, the goal is to become like Jesus. So when I surrender my life to Jesus, when I I understand that he has saved me, he's made a way for me, there's something amazing that happens to you. Jesus becomes your identity. Jesus becomes who you are. This is so significant. You don't just become a better version of your old self. Now hear this. You don't just become a better version of you. You become a new version. And we're going to watch this unfold and we're going to see the significance of this. Guys, there was something that just happened in my life this week where I was having a rough beginning of the week and then as I got reacquainted with this text as Sunday was approaching, you know, I kind of dive back into kind of some things I had outlined. And, and, and I just had this moment that went, you're new. You're new. Jason, you're new. And, and you've got to let go of some of these things that were the old you. You're, you're new. Jason, you're not just becoming a better version of who you were. You're new. You're new. John MacArthur, a a pastor and a a writer, listen to what he says. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. He says that salvation is not a matter of improvement or perfection of what has previously existed. Just let that sink in. That salvation, what God has done, what Paul has revealed to the Ephesian people, that God has done this. He has brought you from, from death to life. It wasn't just a matter of improving who you are and who you were. He says, no, it is total transformation. The New Testament speaks of believers, get this, having a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness, new love, new desire, new citizenship, and many other new things, all of which are summed up in the newness of life. Paul says, that's what I want from you. And that's what I want for you. 
That's my goal, is to move you into an understanding that you have been made new. You have new identity. You have been infused with new DNA. He says, I want to help you see that, but I want to help you live into that. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to spend the rest of this letter just simply giving you a list of commands, legalistic do's and don'ts, because here's what those do. When we get into these lists of do's and don'ts, it says, if you want to be a better version of who you've been, do this. If you want to be a better version of who you've been, don't do that. And Paul says, listen, I don't want to spend any time telling you what to do and not to do in some legalistic way. He says, because there's something greater than you doing something to be a better version of yourself or not doing something to be a better version of yourself. He says, no, Jesus is going to give you a completely new identity. So it's not a matter of what you do and what you don't do. It's a matter of what God has done and is going to continue to do in your life. This is big stuff. This is transformational stuff. He is eager for us as he closes this letter down over the next couple weeks. said, I want you to grasp the full level, the full measure, and that's what he's praying for. We've seen that unfold, the full measure of God, but I want you to understand the full measure of transformation in this newfound identity. It's good stuff, and it's good. <laughs> and here's why. Because all of us got a past. And there are things we drag into this relationship. And those things, if we're not careful, quickly become obstacles. They become more than just distractions. They become discouragements. They become our doubts. See, when we drag this old self into the relationship with Jesus, and we're focused on doing something or not doing something to be a better version of that, here's what happens. We spend all of our time questioning and doubting whether we're, not, we're doing it well enough for God to be okay with me. Man, I hope God's, I hope God's okay with me because, man, and when we point to something, where? We point to something back here. Man, I, I hope he's forgot about that. Oh, and heaven, heaven forbid that I get into a house group and, and those people find out who I was and what I've done and who I've been. and I just, man, they'll throw me out and I'll be back. So you keep jumping around in house groups or you keep jumping around in churches and you keep jumping around in and out of relationships because you're afraid that the old self is going to be revealed. And it doesn't matter how much you try and what you do and what you don't do, you can never get over fully who you were and what you've done and what you bring into the relationship. And Paul says, stop. 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 There is no past too shady for God because God does away with the past and he creates something new. So listen to what he says, starting in verse 17. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Just stop right there because I want you to feel a shift that Paul is going to bring about. Paul is shifting something here. He's saying, you know what? It's, it's similar language that he uses at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1 when he says, I'm urging you. Here's what he's doing. He's shifting this letter from narrative to imperative. 
He's shifting it from narrative, who God is and what God has done and who you are. It's this narrative. It's our story. And then he says, no, no, no. I insist on this in the Lord. I I need you to lean in. He is going to be imperative about this. He's going to say, listen, I need you to understand that what I'm about to say is crucial. And you doing it is crucial. You grasping it, but also displaying it is crucial. So he has this shift, and then he continues this. He says, so in this, I I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do for the futility of their thinking. So he's going to walk us then through what it looks like, a remembrance of who you were. He's going to say, let me describe to you the not-so-good predicament that you were in, but that you keep dragging in to the newfound identity, to the newfound relationship. So he's going to speak out of the gate of this futility of your thinking. Here's what he means by that. He says, it's empty. Your thinking has become hollow. You remember back then? It was was meaningless. It was hopeless. It was vanity. That's how you used to live. King Solomon, who they would have known and they would have been able to recall at that time. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes describes it like this. He says, it's utter meaninglessness. Life with with and before God was meaningless. Oh, you had some great moments. There was some really good stuff. But at the end of the day, when you were separated from God, when God wasn't at the center of all this, he says it was meaningless. It's all meaningless. And so Paul says, remember that? Remember how that used to feel? The emptiness And the sense of worthlessness that you used to feel, you were kind of just wandering through life trying to make meaning of a lot of different things, but those things continued and and, and always left you at a place where at the end of the day you felt a little bit empty. And then he's going to go on to describe it a little bit more. He says, they were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He says, it is, it, it was a place of darkness. You were darkened. You were separated from God. Again, this mirrors back to verse 12 in chapter 2 when Paul says, you remember when you were excluded, right? But God, remember, there was that, but because of God's great love for us. He says there was a moment when you were apart from God, that you were dead, But you've been made alive. And he says, remember why that was? He says, it's the ignorance that is due them to the heart in their hearts. He said, it was your heart condition. Now, it's it's important to understand here, this is not just some emotional heart moment he's having, that you didn't love God enough, that you've become somehow hardened in that way. What he's saying here is he says, it is a willful resistance to who God is and his truth He says, you weren't rooted. You weren't grounded. Your heart became so hard that the roots couldn't take hold. Your heart became so willfully resistant to God that it has hardened. What Paul is getting at is that separation didn't come because that's the way God wanted it. Separation came from not knowing God by your choice. He says, remember those moments when you ignorantly, when you just didn't know any better at the moment, or better yet, you didn't choose any better at the moment. 
When, you, when you, you chose not to know, when you chose not to surrender, when you chose not to serve, he says, remember what that resulted in? That resulted in separation. It resulted in darkness. Then he's going to give us one more description of the former condition. Verse 19, he says, Having lost all sensitivity, having given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they were full of greed, he says, Oh, you were dark, you were separated, you were ignorant in your thinking, or at least this willfulness to know God and to surrender to God, your, your, your emptiness of, of thinking. And he says, all of that, here's what's happened. He says, it has left you in a condition where you have lost sensitivity. This is the only place this, this arrives in Scripture. And Paul, I think, is trying to drive home a point here. He says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. He says, you have lost the ability to feel. You've become calloused, one translation says. You no longer associate pain with this condition. Electricity and I don't get along. This started back when I was in college. We were moving some bunk beds around at the time in the dorm. And so when we moved the beds, this was back in an old school dorm, center block walls, there was left a lamp that was made into a desk, but the lamp wiring and everything was wired into the wall. Well, it just kind of stuck out in the room now. Well, I had the bright idea that what I would do is just cut it off. <laughs> so I take a pair of pliers and snip, and 18 hours later when I get over the jolt that sent me into a dark sleep, I mean, like fire shot out over my head, and uh, it had burnt an actual hole in the pair of pliers that we used. So from that day on, I decided, you know what, I'm never going to deal with electricity again. Now, fast forward, we were in a house over in Old Hickory at the time, and uh, we needed a wall outlet changed out uh, that just had stopped working for some reason. And, and uh, I tried to convince Lori, I got this. And she's like, no, you don't. You need to call Bill. Bill was our electrician. It was a friend of my dad. And he said, you need to call Bill. And I was like, no, I got this. And she's like, do you not remember, you know, the dark age when you fell asleep for 18 hours because electricity had ran through your body and it zapped who you were and brought you to the brink of death? Do you not remember that? And it all suddenly came back. So I called Bill. <laughs> Bill comes over and he says, all right, what's the problem? He had an outlet. And so he goes to unscrew the plate. And I said, well, hold up. I'll get, the, I'll get the breaker in the garage. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You don't have to do that. Now, remember, Bill's a, a licensed, trained, been doing this for 30 years, electrician. I said, are you sure? And so he, he did something that I thought was a magic trick at the moment. I thought, like, he's messing with me. He's already turned it off somehow. I thought maybe there was a switch up in the wall or something, which there's not. He goes, no, watch this. And he grabs the wire. I went, oh, so it's already off. And I went, he goes, no, no, don't you touch it. I said, what do you mean? He goes, and he showed me his fingers. He said, man, I've been doing this so long, I no longer feel low voltage. And he showed me like he had these massive calluses on his hands. He said, yeah, I don't even feel this stuff anymore. He said, now. You get into like these lights in here, you know, I'll get a little jolt. He said, I, he told me a story about getting knocked off of a ladder and all this. And, but he, he, he couldn't feel because of the calluses over time had built up over his hands where he didn't even feel this. And Paul says, that's what's happened to you. You've lost your ability to feel. And you know the irony of this? Paul says, you know, the irony in this is that you have indulged yourself 
in your lust, in your feelings to the point that you don't even feel. Now think about that. He said, you have, you have chased your feelings, what you want, what you desired, what you thought was going to somehow complete you, what you thought was going to be, you know, fulfilling. You, you've chased feeling good to the point that you don't even feel anymore. He says, you've become so used to certain things, certain sins in your life. He says, you don't even sense how fully it wounds you anymore. He says, you don't even sense anymore how not only it fully wounds you, but it wounds your relationships. It destroys. He said, some of you have got your hands all over wires and you're not even feeling, and I'm telling you, you leave them there long enough and it hits the wrong spot on an uncallous spot. It's going to light you. He says, you got to get your feeling back. He said, you've got to begin to think differently. You've got to begin to, to not just do something differently. You've got to begin to renew your mind and remember that you were renewed. You know, one of the things I love about God's word is it runs deep. There's several times in scripture where it talks about being able to, to get to the deepest parts of us. It says that it can pierce even down to our marrow, our bone, the, the most inner part of the inner parts. So the good news is, is that God says there's, even in your calloused, in your hardened heart, in these moments where you've lost sensitivity, oh, I've still got a way, if you'll allow me to, if you'll give yourself over, I can still get to those parts and we can begin to rejuvenate you from the inside out. He said, but you got to get there. And he says it goes beyond, beyond just wrong actions. It's, it's wrongful thinking. It's willful rejection. It's not knowing God. He said, so you've got to get back in tune with moral sensitivity. So then he switches gears. He says, all right, you remember that? Okay, enough of that. Verse 20, he says, that, talking about that former life, however, I love however, because that's kind of like a but. Remember I told you how great God's buts are. This is, however, is just another one of those. He says, but however, look at this. However, that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him with accordance to the truth that is Jesus. Here's the literal translation, translation of what he's saying. You didn't learn Jesus that way. And so for you to continue to drag this stuff into this new relationship, what is, what is happening is you didn't learn that from Jesus. I don't know where you got that, but it wasn't Jesus. He says, remember, some of you, you knew him. Some of you watched him. Others of you have heard through the testimony of those who did. You know what Jesus was all about and who he was and the way he conducted himself, the way he modeled this, the way he moved. He said, you didn't learn this from Jesus. And so Paul says, take your cues from Jesus. That's what you learned, right? So for you to continue to drag this stuff in, so it kind of stops us and says, okay, well, what does it mean to learn of Christ, to, to learn Christ? Not learn about Christ, but learn Christ. And we talk about like Bible school, do we need to get over to, to, you know, to, to Jim and Pam's class on Monday night? The, you know, no, he's saying, listen, here's what it is. It's more than just moral traditions and policies that are being passed down. He says, learning Jesus is more than just moral traditions and policies. He says, what it is, it's focused on Jesus, the person. See, it's Jesus who teaches us how to live by modeling those things. He said, so if you didn't see Jesus modeling it, then you don't model it. 
He says, we learn by Jesus when we come to know him through faith, when we commune with him in relationship. So you're learning Jesus. You're learning how to bring about new things. You're bringing about new relationships. You're bringing about new attitudes. You're bringing about new actions. He says, you learn of Jesus when you live as a part of the body, when you connect. We don't have time to go into it, but he talks a lot about connecting to the, to the, to the, you know, the, the branch, to the vine. He talks a lot about connection with himself, but he also talks about connection to the body, us. He says, you're learning Jesus when you imitate him, when you follow his lead. And here's what's so great about this. I think the world would fall in love with that. I think if, if the representation of Jesus began to put in action and model what they learned of Jesus, I think the world would love that. I think our culture would have no problem with that. Because again, you begin to walk through who Jesus was and what he did. You go, wow, Jesus is a pretty gracious, loving, tolerant. Jesus was always looking to widen the circle. Jesus was slow to jump to conclusions and slow to pass judgment. And Jesus led with relationship and people first, not policy first. And so I just want you to know if you're new to this, and, and I don't know where each of you come from, but maybe you, 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 this is the first time you're hearing and bumping up against this. And you walked in saying, I'm a little skeptical of this because I've had some bad run-ins with church people. Maybe you're old to this and just need to be reminded that what Paul's kind of unfolding, if you get behind these scenes, is this, is that the Christian life is, moral, is more than a moral system, guys. It, it's way more than that, and Paul says it's way better than that. Again, it's trusting him, it's knowing him, it's following him, it's being created anew in him, it's learning from him. He says it's not a moral system, it's, it's him. So being a Christian is being him. It's focused on him. It's a transformational relationship, not an institutional system. And he says, if you're not quick, you'll drag all that stuff in with you and you'll spend all your time worried about who's doing and not doing and this or that and you'll forget that all of you were created new. Paul says, that's the moral compass. Paul says, whenever you stray, whenever you're tempted to bring all that stuff back in, he says, there you go, return to this, watch Jesus. Watch Jesus. So here's what it practically comes down to as he kind of closes out this section of thought. It practically comes down to us taking off and putting on. He says in verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. To put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful ways to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, take it off. Take it off. Stop being corrupted and deceived by who you used to be. Paul says it is lying to you and it is destroying it is rotting you. He said, you were taught to do whatever you, you wanted to, whatever you felt at the moment, whatever was good at the moment. He says, take it off. He says, in some, because what happens in that is that you also bring that negativity into this new relationship. Put it off. 
He says, put it aside. He says, move beyond it. This old self means take that old human being and do away with it. He says that I, me, you no longer serve as my core identity. He says, I, he says, Jason, you don't serve as your core identity anymore. Jesus does. Chapter 2, he says there's, there's this new humanity that has been created. He says, I'm going to take Jews and, and, and Gentiles, and I'm going to create a new humanity where Jesus becomes the head of it. Jesus becomes the target. Jesus becomes who I'm chasing. Jesus is becoming my identity. He says, you are being made new. I want you to hear this, that, that, that there's something passive about that. He says, you're not making yourself new. God's doing that. He says, you don't make yourself new. God is renewing. He's constantly continuing. And what it allows us to do is it allows us to think differently that leads us to acting differently. We don't have to question it. We don't have to doubt it. It's done. He says, so get your mind right. It's done. It's finished. It's over. Leave it back there. Take it off and don't go back. And this may be the best thing I say today. And what that means for me is this. I don't have to rehabilitate my old self to please God. Hear that. I don't have to rehabilitate my old self to please God. With God... There's no pull yourself up by your bootstraps and if you're good enough and lucky enough, you might get to be a better version of you and then God will be pleased. God says, no, no, no. See, what you're missing is this. You become a new you. You become the identity of Jesus. I become a new creation. And in that, I have a new capacity for growth. I have a new purpose. I have a new reason for being created anew. He says at the end of 24, he says, I do all this so that you can become like God, not so that you can become God. That's who you were. You were your own God. But in this new creation, you become like God, and you get to exemplify his characteristics to humanity. What are we talking about? Love and peace and kindness and goodness and patience. You're created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness. So what you do becomes right, and who you're becoming becomes holy. He says, you got to take it off. But he says, don't go naked you got to put some things on. He says, so put on this new self. And I'm going to be real brief in this because I think we've overcomplicated this at times. Here's how this happens. When we receive God's grace through his faith and we begin to walk like Jesus, it happens. When we put on Jesus, Paul says in Galatians when he's writing to this other church that he kind of helped kick off, he says, remember to clothe yourself, put something new on. He says, clothe yourself with Jesus in baptism. He says, when you become like people in Galatians, when you begin to clothe yourself in Jesus, he says, you're taking the first step, you're taking the initial step, you're taking steps to becoming like Jesus. And how you dress determines how you feel. You dress, 
you put on that which you're trying to become. And it's ongoing. And it doesn't just seep into our DNA. It becomes our DNA. We put on Jesus. And again, whatever we wear affects how we feel, how we think, and how we act. Think about it. When you leave the house in the morning, if you're not loving what you wear, you're going to be a bear all day probably. But if you look in the mirror and go, man, I look, mm, this is all right today. I don't know what's going to come your way during the day, but it's going to start off good. You're going to tap your foot in the car, even in traffic, and go, man, I can't wait for people to see this jacket. Because I look good in it. Don't even get me started on my new boots. So what we put on affects how we think, how we feel, how we act. So put on Jesus. As we land this, I want you to hear two things before we leave. and It's short. Guys, this is twofold. Don't forget that it's putting off, but it's also putting on. And I'm afraid that, that too many times... Too many Jesus followers get stuck in the putting off mode. We are so concerned with putting off, putting off, putting off, putting off that what happens is this. It squeezes the life out of them. And guys, I'm going to be honest, it squeezes the message out of the cross. In these moments when we haven't fully put on something, and all we're worried about is taking off, taking off, and, and we can't seem to shed, you know, our anger and our bitterness and our hatred and our doubt. We just kind of cover it up. Or we're so concerned with dotting every I and crossing every T, it's I've got to put it off, put it off, and we never reach down and put something on. When we constantly live in this negativity of shame and guilt and fear, can I just say that's not what Jesus called you to do. And it's not what Jesus called you to be. But again, we, we, we kind of live every day going, I've got to, man, I just, man, I didn't, I thought I'd taken it off, but I didn't. And here I am again. You know, I can't ever seem to shed that. And we just, we constantly live in this taking off. And here's what happens. We begin to preach that to the world that might need to make some changes, okay? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not talking about that there are not moments that we don't need to be accountable and that we don't need to recalibrate. But what we do is we begin to preach what we preach to ourselves every day to our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. Well, you know, that ain't right. And we lead with that. We lead with, well, what you need to do is take some stuff off. You need to get right with Jesus. Instead of, again, allowing what we put on to lead and navigate and begin those conversations. So don't cover it up, but don't get caught naked either. He says, don't become someone who is totally consumed with taking off and taking off and taking off that you forget to put on Jesus. And here's what that's going to look like. You're going to love your neighbor. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to love to it hurts. And in this, you're going to be able to look in the mirror and you're going to love yourself even more. Because what you're going to see is not you. Not that old, shady, skeptical, seedy self. No, you're going to see the new creation. So I want to encourage you to try something for your first step or your next step this morning. I want you to try to allow your renewed mind 
to renew and redirect your life. See, I believe that a changed heart leads to a changed life, but I also know this, that some of you aren't there yet. It may be because you got a list of questions, a list of pain, a list of doubts, a list of hurt, and you're going, listen, I can't get there, so let me give you something different. I think that it can also flow in reverse. I believe that a changed heart leads to a changed life. But I also believe that when we open up the capacity to do something in the physical, that it can also flow in reverse. So if you're not there, here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. In the moments when you don't feel like it, in the moments that, you know what, your heart, you know, is just not in the right place yet, I want you to do something. I want you to allow your outer actions to begin to even transform your inner heart. So in the moments that you don't feel like being loving, do it anyway. In the moments that you don't feel or think you have the capacity to go beyond and above to be patient and kind and good to someone, do it anyway. Push through that. Even in the moments that you don't feel it, so the inside's not shaping your outside, allow you yourself to do something on the outside that might just change something on the inside. Mark Roberts, another author, says this. He says that we don't change ourselves directly by how we act, but... Our actions welcome and assist God's work in us. And so while just doing good deeds is not going to completely shape you, doing good deeds will welcome and assist what God is trying to do in you. Now you see what I'm saying? It can flow backwards as well. So here's my next step. Just start imitating Jesus cooperating with God, and watch what happens. I mentioned earlier that one of the ways that we learn Jesus is by communing with Jesus. And that's what these tables are about. They're learning, see, when we walk up to these tables, we believe that what's on those tables represents Jesus. So when I walk up to the table with friends and family and people who aren't like me, here's what I'm learning. I'm learning to love like Jesus. I'm learning to include others like Jesus. I'm learning to sacrifice, even to the point of death maybe, like Jesus. I'm learning to accept forgiveness, but I'm also learning how to extend forgiveness. See, when I come to these tables with people, I learn mercy. I learn grace. I learn Jesus. So this morning, as we move into a time of communion, just take a moment and learn Jesus. And you may see it across the table from you in the eyes and in the actions of someone else. Or you may just feel it through the Holy Spirit that says, I'm moving you. Oh, I'm not rehabilitating you. I'm making you new.